Hey, you're listening to Bon Appetit Foodcast. I'm Adam Rappaport. All right, it is the season of onions, garlic, green garlic, leeks, and ramps. And Andy Bergani is on the show talking us through several recipes he developed where alliums take center stage. After that, associate editor Hillary Cadigan calls up Chef Deb Van Trees, uh, owner of Twisted Soul Cookhouse in Atlanta. Uh, the restaurant has been doing takeout only for the last couple of months, and like many businesses in Georgia, they will continue to do so even as the state officially reopens. All right, here we go with Andy Baragani. Andy Baragani, I feel like alliums are the one thing we can count on this time of year, at least when it comes to vegetables and stuff. Their peak season is the spring, and I don't think a lot of people are aware of that. I, I just, I love the bounty of them, and I love there's so many different things that you can do with them, which is, I guess, what inspired the story. How did this story come about, and, and what made you want to pitch it? I think any good cook knows that alliums are essential to to most savory dishes. It brings a quality that adds depth. You can use it raw, pickle it, caramelize it, char it. There's so many ways to apply it in cooking. One thing I love so much about alliums, whether you're talking scallions, leeks, garlic, is that they, they kind of have this dual personality. They can be really assertive and, and, and sort of uh, not quite bitter, but just like, whoa, open your eyes if you eat them raw, throw some raw scallions in a salad. But take those same scallions, pan roast them in a skillet, throw them on a grill. They get caramely. They get soft. Same thing with garlic that you slowly cook in oil. They become sweet and unctuous. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just... I love that, and I and and especially when you can take two types of of alliums and combine them raw and cooked in a dish. What qualifies as an allium? Onions are kind of the pantry staple. Uh, you'll have garlic, but when it comes to kind of spring alliums, which is what really the focus of this story is, we're talking about green garlic, which is the younger uh, variety of garlic when it's fresh and vibrant, and you could eat the whole entire thing. The stalks are green, and it's more delicate and sweet. Uh, you have ramps, which are kind of like a wild leek that have this uh, really tender, leafy top, and there's wonderful, like, very pungent bulb that uh, you would want to kind of soften either with some kind of fat like butter or oil or pickle. Uh, you also have spring onions. They could be very, very thin and long before they become kind of round and bulbous. And they're also milder. This spring alliums in general are just milder, uh, gentler compared to when they kind of uh, ripen in the summer when they become larger and more spicier and pungent. Okay, so you developed, I want to say, five recipes for the story, all of which I love. Let's start with the charred leeks with honey and vinegar. So this dish, uh, the charred leeks, it's a technique that I picked up years ago and I've been playing around with. It's based off a dish uh, that comes from Spain. Uh, Spain, uh, during the kind of late winter, early spring, they get calcots. Uh, a type of allium similar to leek, somewhere between like a leek and spring onion. Uh, and what they'll do is they'll harvest them and then they'll blacken them over hot coals until the outside is deeply charred and ashy and the inside is meltingly tender and soft and sweet. And then they pair that with romesco, which uh, is a sauce made with nuts and tomatoes and peppers and uh, just kind of uh, you dip the uh, charred calcotes into the romesco. In this scenario, 
I kind of pared it down and just used leeks because uh, they're a lot easier to find and you can't find calcotes in the States. And what you do is just trim the really dark green parts at the very top of the leeks uh, and then remove kind of any tough uh, outer layer from the leeks. And then I give them a rinse, uh, pat them dry, and then I throw them on the grill, uh, just on the grates, no oil needed. And then I cook them, turn them around every few two or three minutes until they're completely black. Now you have that uh, bitter charred outside, but the inside is really soft and sweet and it's nice, a nice contrast. So what I wanted to pair the leeks with was something that would kind of counterbalance that uh, bitter charred flavor and I thought a little bit of honey and a splash of vinegar and just salt and pepper and it's like this really super simple easy side dish. It, it feels like certain leeks like a you got to chop off that top tough green part but also some leeks can be really sandy correct on the inside? That is true I mean I think with something like this recipe I am leeks can be quite sandy you do want to get kind of to peel a layer or two off to remove any of the sand and then trim the green parts. But the white and pale green parts, it should be still pretty firm and tight in the bottom. So you just really want to rinse the top and then kind of get any water out so it doesn't steam on the grates. It chars properly. The other thing is like in general, I love leeks and I cook them. I use them a lot, but I find them to be almost probably the the allium that is the most sweet when, when it's cooked, which is why I tend to like using them when uh, cooking them on high heat and get them kind of a little bit uh, charred and bitter because I think they can run a little too sweet at times. All right, you had me at shrimp rampy. I see that <laughs> that photo of the shrimp with the ramps and the butter sauce, the name. I'm like, I want this right now. How did, did the name come first or how did this dish come about? The, the name came first, uh, definitely. I had the idea of the name and then I was like, okay, this should be like a very easy thing based off of shrimp scampi made with, uh, still with a little bit of garlic. I would say the one thing different about this than the classic shrimp scampi is that I typically use a, a, a lot of butter in shrimp scampi and this is more of a kind of lighter more olive oil based uh, shrimp scampi or shrimp rampi i should say do you um brown the shrimp take them out of the pan and then put in the the garlic and, and the ramps How do, what's the process no what i do is i actually start by cooking the um the ramp bulbs they're a little bit tougher than the greens so i cook them in some oil and i let them soften and then once the bulbs have softened i'll add some garlic uh, additional garlic because i really want to get uh, kind of that that kind of heat from just regular garlic and then uh, red pepper flakes but any kind of uh, chili flakes you have on hand will work and then uh, let that go until the garlic has softened i add some wine and let that reduce and then uh, i add the ram greens, the shrimp, and butter to the pan. And then I just cook that until the shrimp has turned pink and the butter has melted. And then mm. off heat, uh, I'll grate some lemon zest, a little bit of uh, lemon juice, and then drizzle with a little bit more olive oil. I, th I find ramps, if you can find them at a mar at a, like a green market, they're usually in abundance. Uh, if they're at like a fancy grocery store, they're way overpriced, and you're like, I'm not going to pay that much money for a little bunch of, you know, <laughs> alliums. Um, but, uh, I mean, it's just a, a basic pasta always, again, your point, take off the greens, start by sauteing the bulb parts, then add the greens. I'll just, you know, some butter, some olive oil, pasta water, and then just toss with pasta, and maybe I'll throw some breadcrumbs on top, and it's just so, so good. 
You really want to look for ramps that the tops or the greens aren't bruised at all. And then also what I like to do is actually separate the greens from the bulbs and just kind of ramp them in a damp paper towel and store them in um, either a bowl or cover them or in a Ziploc bag. It'll extend their shelf life. And then with the bulbs, I just will keep them in a little bit of um, in a cup with a little bit of water and that should keep them going because they do have a short uh, lifespan. But when it comes to cooking with them, I really try to keep it simple. Uh, obviously, I love the shrimp uh, rampy, but I think uh, definitely with the pasta, either just sauteed with some pasta. I also think making a pesto with ramps can be really delicious. If you want to do like a ramp and pistachio pesto, we have that uh, a recipe for that from a few years back. And then scrambled eggs with ramps, I think, is fantastic. Mm. I mean, I think, I, think, I think that's a good rule. Any really seasonal item, um, whether it's ramps or whether you get those beautiful, like, baby little strawberries in June, like, you don't need to do a lot. Just, like, enjoy how delicious they are and and, and recognize, like, how fleeting the season is and, and don't overthink it, you know? Preserve their integrity, if you will. Keep it simple uh, and, uh, yeah, definitely let the, let the ramp shine. All right, um, speaking of pasta, you got ramen noodles with spring onions and crisp garlic. <laughs> I know you've made this a few times. No, I've made your, I haven't made this. I've made your very similar dish oh, of the yes, ramen yes, noodles yes, yes, yes. with your ginger scallion sauce. Uh, Adam, I'm so glad you brought this up. Those noodles, the scallion, um, scallion ginger, are the kind of classic uh, ones where you just have a bunch of scallions, ginger, some hot oil, pour it over, let the scallions uh, wilt, add a little bit of soy, and that's your sauce. With these, I wanted to do that, but I wanted a kind of, um, almost have two different condiments. You're still making a kind of uh, scallion sauce where you could use scallions. In this case, I'm using spring onions, but you're also making a crisp. And so that's, this is, a crisp is something that like the test kitchen loves. We have so many different variations on it, but it's, um, this is a spring onion crisp with garlic and uh, some black pepper and sugar and salt. So you get these two kind of textures, the kind of really soft, sweet. Wait, uh, time out. Sorry to interrupt, but explain, ex explain a crisp to people who don't know what a crisp is. We have variations on it, but it's like you're basically taking some kind of allium, whether it be shallots, garlic. Uh, spring onions in this case, and you're sizzling them up in oil until they're kind of crunchy and frizzled, and we'll use them as a topping for, let's say, for noodles in this case, uh, but it could be applied to varied dishes. It's really just kind of a crunchy topping. Okay. So with this one, you have the ramen noodles that are tossed in the spring onion sauce, and then they get topped with this uh, spring onion crisp delicious you know we've written about this i think in our upcoming issue but just like how available now like uh fresh ramen noodles are we love sun noodles the company out of new jersey you can buy them in a lot of grocery stores and i think you've done a great job of taking these fresh noodles and not just using them for conventional ramen but you've got your miso pesto ramen which is like a green pesto obviously but with ramen noodles you've got this version you have the ginger scallion ones just using them as a delicious noodle and coming up with all sorts of different iterations on them and i, I think that's a, a really cool creative way to think as a cook they're definitely one of my kind of favorite things to have i already have some in the freezer right now they're just so easy they cook up in minutes and there's very sad there's like a satisfying chew to ramen noodles that 
are like nothing else. So I definitely, they're one of my pantry staples. All right, a couple more. Um, I feel like everyone on Instagram was making your scallion pancakes with chili ginger dipping sauce. I am shocked I'm, because I just didn't know if this was going to be popular. I understand that scallion pancakes are popular, but this is like not a classic scallion pancake. And it was also the dish that I had a lot of issues with. I probably tested this one out maybe like maybe seven or eight times. I really wasn't happy with it. And I was going back and forth, workshopping it. But what I wanted to do is like, a classic scallion pancake is where you make a dough, roll out the dough into a log and then coil that and then roll that out into a flat pancake and then fry it out. And that creates kind of little layers within the pancake? You get super flaky uh, layers with, with the classic scallion pancake. With this one, I wanted it to just be like a batter that you could make really quickly and you just kind of pour it. It's like a pancake batter, fry it out, and then it just will be super crisp, chewy. I just didn't want to have to have anybody to make a dough and wait and have to coil and worry about uh, how flat it is. I just wanted it to be super easy. So it took some time, but the big kind of secret to this was a mixture of all-purpose flour and cornstarch. That's what gets you a really crunchy pancake. And then actually another secret is the club soda. So you kind of have a batter that resembles tempura almost. I think what's so appealing about this recipe is like a scallions, like scallions are always available at every store. So they're super easy to come by. They're not like a boutique farmer's market item. And B, to your point, the the pancakes are super easy to make as well. And then you made that delicious dipping sauce. Yeah, the dipping sauce definitely is like, I, it needed to have like a strong dipping sauce. And I did kind of want to go with like a really spicy one, which has um, a chili oil, a little bit of rice vinegar, soy sauce, and some fresh ginger, and a pinch of sugar. And it really does kind of bring the whole dish together. And again, you have that balance again, that you guys do so well, like you've got the sweetness, you've got the chili oil, you've got the acid in the vinegar, um, saltiness in the soy sauce. It's a really nicely balanced, but assertive sauce. All right, finally, last recipe. Speaking of scallions, your dish for green garlic rubbed buttery roast chicken. The other day I was like, I'm making this. I don't have any green garlic, but I do have scallions, and that's close enough in my book, and especially in this time of coronavirus, substitutes, as I wrote in my newsletter, substitutions are not only uh, uh, allowed, they are encouraged. Um, and I think it was close enough. I think it's, I mean, well, look, if you don't have green garlic, like, I absolutely encourage you to do, use scallions, uh, ramps, uh, regular garlic, whatever you can find. I, oh yeah, but I did add I did add some smashed regular garlic cloves. So it was I had like a mixture of like butter, regular garlic, and scallions. Okay, good. That makes a little bit it closer to green garlic than just if it was just scallions alone. I think with this chicken, I knew I needed to do something because alliums work so well with the roast chicken. Uh, green garlic, I would say, is my favorite. Don't make fun of me here, Adam. Green garlic is mm. my favorite allium. It's something, I don't know if it's the California boy in me, but it just has all the kind of wonderful qualities that regular garlic has. It has that like a touch of heat. It's a little bit pungent, but it's fresh. 
it's really fresh and you can use the whole entire thing, the entire stock, and there's something so delicate and wonderful about it. And with this, you really just make a butter, a compound butter made with lemon zest, green garlic, and um, you just rub that all over chicken that's been heavily seasoned with salt and pepper, and then you go really low and slow in the oven. So I know we have a lot of roast chicken recipes where we call for a bunch of different temperatures. Uh, the popular one over the past few years has been the 425 for like 50 to 60 minutes for a three and a half to four pound bird. This one calls for a very low temperature at 325. What you get here is really a, a chicken where the breast meat, it's like it's never gonna be overcooked the dark meat has properly rendered all of its fat. It's like on the verge of becoming almost shreddy. The meat barely wants to kind of hold on to the bones. And I find it very, very satisfying. There's a place for like a beautiful dark golden brown bird. But in this case, it's like it's more on the golden side and it's the meat is just like wonderfully cooked. All right, a couple of things. Yeah, the compound butter is super easy. You throw the butter and, and the garlic or scallions or regular garlic, whatever you got, in a food processor, whip it up, kind of turns a nice bright green of sorts. Um, you not only rub the butter on the skin all over, but you also sort of lift up the breast skin and tuck some butter underneath the skin on the breast meat, correct? So, yes, I'm very much for that. If you're a little bit, uh, if that weirds you out, you don't have to do it. It's very, very easy, though, of just separating the skin from the breast, uh, from the flesh, and just putting like a little bit of butter, a tablespoon or two underneath, it just gonna make all the difference. Can I say this, you know what I struggled with? And now looking back, I wonder if my compound butter was not soft enough, room temperature enough. When I was spreading the butter on the cold chicken that I had patted dry, it kept on kind of falling off. It wasn't just sort of, I, I couldn't find a way to lather up the bird, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I imagine like you really want your butter to be room temperature and very easy to just smear all over the bird. If it is a little bit firm, it's going to almost slip off. So you do want your butter to be very soft. Um, and then the final point, you, I love that slow roasting technique with uh, roast chicken because again the, the the dark meat becomes real fall apart tender the white meat is cooked through but not overcooked the one thing is that as we you and i discussed like i forget who the food stylist was on this shoot but they did some sort of <laughs> some sort of something or other at the end and they must have hit it under the broiler because they made the skin look more dark mahogany brown than it will look when yours comes out of the oven if you just do it at 325, correct? I think we do need to tell, yeah, I think Susie Theodora was the food stylist. We love her to death. She is, has all the tricks. She's one of the best food stylists out there. But I think she probably hit that chicken a little bit under the broiler or something to get the, the skin a little bit darker. But I mean, if you really want a, uh, the darker skin, because the fat will really properly have rendered from the low and slow uh, temperature, I would remove the chicken, crank up the heat, or even if, I, I almost wouldn't suggest doing the broiler. I, I would, instead I would just like increase it to let's say like 425 and just place your chicken there for like, uh, watch really uh, carefully and then the skin should brown pretty quickly. That's if you really, really want a golden brown skin. All right, Andy Baragani, thank you so much. Thanks, Adam. <laughs>
Okay, thanks so much to Andy. And now, here is Hillary Cadigan with Deb Mantris. Hi, I'm Hilary Cadigan, I'm the Associate Editor at Bon Appetit, and I'm here with Deborah Van Trees, who is the chef and owner of a restaurant on Atlanta's west side called Twisted Soul Cookhouse and Pours. Um, hi, Deb. Hey, Hilary. <laughs> so Deb and I have been checking in since the very beginning of this whole mess. Deb's been one of our most consistent contributors to these sort of restaurant diaries that we're doing, connecting with folks all over the food industry, all over the country, about how they're coping with this situation. First off, I guess, Deb, can you tell us a little bit about Twisted Soul, who you are? Um, Twisted Soul, like you said, is a restaurant in Atlanta on the west side. Uh, we specialize in globally inspired soul food. Uh, we're in our fourth year. Uh, we would be considered a successful restaurant up until now. When did this thing become real to you? What was the moment when you were like, okay, this isn't just some blip, there's gonna be some serious consequences? It was um, early on. Actually, it was before it even hit Atlanta. I think that's where the background came in as a flight attendant. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I remember, I think January or so, paying attention to the news and calling a friend of mine who flew China and telling her, don't go to China anymore. Don't fly that trip. Um, so the expectation from then was that it was going to make it to the U.S. It was just, you know, um, how long is it going to take? Go back Atlanta, beginning of March. You know, I can remember like the first case, you know, that happened here. I can remember looking and, you know, there were seven cases, mm -hmm. you know, and watching every day as the cases went up. And gosh, when you think about in such a short period of time, you know, how much has happened. It's mm -hmm. a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Back at the time, we did not know yet that Georgia would be the first state to quote unquote reopen. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> taking it back a little further there. So like you, you had the restaurant open at the beginning, you know, everyone had, yes. everyone was taking more precautions. You know, yes. you told me you had the, you had the the Lysol wipes, you were at the, you know, sanitizer to, and mm -hmm. gloves, Ajax, you know, Mr. Clean, you name it, I had it. Right. <laughs> so at what point were you just kind of like, okay, this is, this is not enough anymore. And, and why, why was that kind of the realization? Yeah, you know, pretty much the first week of March, somewhere around the seventh, ninth, somewhere in there. Um, it was a weekend. You know, it was kind of the shit just got real moment, you know, so we were, you know, really at that point watching the numbers decline. We were, you know, really cleaning everything, being very deliberate. You know, I think at one point, you know, you didn't spray, you know, sanitizer in front of a customer, you know, because <laughs> customers would get upset. And you know, we went from that to spray, you know, spray in front of them, let them see you spraying. Um, <laughs> And we did a, a weekend of that watching our numbers drop drastically early on in March. Um, and at the end of that, on a Sunday, I made the decision um, after sitting in the dining room on Sunday um, and just, you know, watching everybody, all the people, the interaction that we had to shut down. Mm -hmm. um, and it was really because I knew we couldn't control the public. I could put as many things in place as possible but I couldn't control the actions of others. 
and the actions of others were what was going to, you know, or hurt us in the long run. You know, we were trying to take care of each other and we just assumed everybody would be on the same page and the reality hit that that just wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked like right around the time when you were making the decision to shut down. And at the time you said, you know, I'm going to wait for a second. So this is not a reaction. And yes. instead we take a step back. And yes. and so you closed for a little while before you then opened for takeout. For a couple of days or two or three days. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, get some time to, you know, really assess the entire situation. What, see what other restaurants were doing, see what other options, you know, we had actually even hoping that the decision would be made on a statewide level to shut down dining in for restaurants. Because at that point, there were still restaurants open. The majority were still open. And so you you felt like you were kind of in an awkward position, you know, because you didn't want to be looked at as, okay, they're just lazy or they're just not trying. It was a, a decision made on safety and life or death to me. You know, we were trying to come up with creative ways as to how we could make money. Uh, payroll was, you know, coming up within days. We wanted to be sure we hit that payroll even, you know, though we were closed, you know, but we wanted to be as safe as possible about it. So mm-hmm. um, a few days is what it took to try to be creative and come up with, you know, a, a quick fix mm-hmm. um, on how we could do takeout. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So for a little while, the restaurants were shut down as mandated by the state. Mm-hmm. And then take me to the moment when that changed. I thought it was particularly interesting because you were, you know, you were in the kitchen when you heard the news for yes. the first time that Governor yes. Kemp was yeah. planning to reopen or at yeah. least to tell people to reopen. Kind of paint that scene for me. So you're okay, in the kitchen. So we're in the kitchen, <laughs> you know, busy doing our carry out takeaway meals Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, someone looked at the phone and came in and said you know oh my god they're about to you know reopen the restaurants the governor's about to reopen and we stopped and thought about it and we all said nah uh -uh. that's not no that's not true you know that's just a rumor and we kept cooking phones are blowing up and uh, you know we took a moment to turn on the tv you know and there is is the governor and he's you know saying yes you know we're going to reopen and and again just how do you make sense of that it's mm-hmm. it's you know and on top of it there were no rules no instructions on how you go about doing this you just okay we're going to let you open and we'll call you or we'll send out something in a few days to tell you what you need to do you know it was irresponsible if you were going to reopen, how do you set up something that you don't even know what the rules are? You know, you just open your door and start business as usual uh, while people are dying. You know, that that just made no sense. We're going to have to like look at how we're going to do this with less seating. You know, we're going to look at how, how do we, you know, keep ourselves safe. You know, how the customers eat with masks on, you know, just common <laughs> right. sense things. Okay. Right. You know, even now we were doing a concept that required me for the first time to have my vendors come and deliver food. 
And now we're sending out a letter to our vendors to tell our vendors, if your people can't deliver food and respect social distancing, gloves on, masks when they come in there, we can't have them in there. Mm-hmm. You know, so this is it's what we're seeing is it's a mess. It's mm-hmm. a mess. You know, was, and it's not, it's just not good, Hillary. Mm-hmm. It's, just, <laughs> it's not good. Yeah. Was there a moment, you know, when you first heard this and you looked around and you said, like, could we, could we reopen? What would that even look like? And is that possible Definitely. at this time? Definitely. Mm-hmm. You know, I sat down with the, the staff that was there that day and we did discuss it, you mm-hmm. know, in the dining room as we looked around at what it meant and do we move tables out? Do we you know, put tape across them? Do you block a side of the restaurant? How many seats could you actually get in? Yeah, we, we looked at it. You know, we, we had the conversation on what it looks like when we come up to your table and we're gloved and masked as if we're performing surgery <laughs> to serve you food. How do you take an order at a table and maintain a six feet distance? You know, and you've got a few tables, so what are we doing? All hollering at the customer? I mean, how does that work? And what kind of experience is that? So mm-hmm. we decided, no, that's that's not okay for us. Not just yet. Mm-hmm. And the employees were feeling the same. I mean, it was the a group employees, decision. Definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. They were all, you know, yes, they want to make money. You know, these are people who have children and families themselves that they're supporting, but um, not at the risk of, you know, what they were going to be asked to do. Mm-hmm. Those guidelines that were promised, did they eventually come out? And was there any, I mean, have you, you know, what you, what we talked about, what we thought would be on there is on there. Uh, but no, you know, in, in terms of how, you know, what's best practices for this, you know, other than sanitizer, gloves, you know, mask, tables six feet apart, you know, there's only so many people who can dine per table. And, and with that, you know, it's still you're dealing with the public and they can get real creative on, okay, they said only six, but I wanted 12. So <laughs> I'm going to figure out a way on how to make this happen. You know, what are you going to do? You know, you don't want to get close enough to, you know, physically remove anybody. Right. Um, so what do we do in those instances, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and trial and error just really, to me, isn't an option when, you know, you're talking, putting your life in danger. No, the, the guidelines are, you know, kind of what you expect. And it's, it's an experiment. Mm-hmm. That's what it sounds like. You know, it sounds like an experiment. We're going to open the door and we're going to let you all figure out how to make this work. And then maybe from what you do, we can come up with some things to put in place. Mm-hmm. You know, but we're not feeling very good about being the guinea pigs. Yeah. So we're going to just keep doing, carry out um, until experts tell us there is a way that we can do this and minimize risk to ourselves and minimize risk to the public. Mm-hmm. You know, I do not want to be part of the problem at all. Mm-hmm. What's, what are the other restaurants doing? Have you heard, have you talked much with other restaurants? Like, what have you seen? What are people saying at this point? Like, what does Georgia look like? now like a little over a week into this so-called mm. reopening well the majority of the restaurants did not reopen their dining rooms there were a couple who originally said they were and they backtracked real quick you know it seems to be the general consensus of the public that if you do open your restaurant 
you are on the damn list. Okay. <laughs> it is not, it's not a good thing. Mm -hmm. You know, and most of the public is behind us, you know, for making that decision as to not opening and mm -hmm. not putting money first. Um, those that have opened, you know, one, the only one that I've actually ride by is Waffle House. And it, it doesn't even seem like it's worth them being open. Really? You know, there's one or two people. How many people are actually out there that can sustain a whole city full of restaurants you know, that are going to go out every day and make it worth your while, you know, even financially, to be open? How many people are there really? Even with the takeaway, you know, we're talking, we all are instituting curbside pickup. You know, we're dropping stuff in your trunk, you know, we're delivering it to your door. You don't want contact with us. Mm -hmm. And even with the restaurant being empty, people don't want to walk in there. They just don't. They're, they're like, no, we're good. You know? Yeah. So yeah. if you open up and then you still are depending on the, the carryout business, I think people would think twice with that on walking in to a full restaurant to pick up food. Mm -hmm. Now, if they won't come in with an empty one, why would they come in with the full one? Right. Um, and so I, I think you have to weigh the situation. And most of us are like, no, we're good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're good. Mm -hmm. What's the general vibe in the city right now? What, what's the sort um, of vibe that you're seeing? Um, the parks, uh, a lot of them immediately were bumper to bumper full, you know, people on top of each other. Um, no mask, just like nothing's ever happened, mm -hmm. you know, and then you have the total opposite. You know, what my fear is, is that possibly, you know, people will start letting their guard down. You can see where it could be easy to let your guard down because you're seeing everyone around you move as if move around as if nothing is wrong. And you want to believe that so much yourself, mm -hmm. um, you know, but, you know, I would say I was shocked to see how many people immediately were out and about. I think it's more um, the parks uh, where they think they're outside. So it'll mm -hmm. be fine mm -hmm. um, than, than actually inside of places. Yeah. But, you know, definitely there are people who are moving around and moving around with no precautions whatsoever. Mm -hmm. What What do you see as the motivator? I mean, what do you see as the motivator for why Kemp made this call? And, and you know, what? Oh, it's money. It's, yeah. You know, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like straight money. Mm -hmm. um, I think that the state was in reserves. You know, mm -hmm. the state's probably going broke. You know, all of the numerous unemployment claims that came at one time, you know, no one was ready for that. And I'm sure the state wasn't ready for it either. The loss of the sales tax, you know, us alone, because there were, you know, no arrangements to be made on sales tax. So when mm -hmm. it was due on the 20th um, of March, we all had to try to come up with that on mm -hmm. top of everything else with our restaurants being closed. Um, and that's a lot of money, you know, a lot of money not coming in and a lot of money that was going out. There is no other answer. There's, you know, no other motivation for opening, rushing to open except for money. Mm -hmm. Have you been reading about more people getting sick since this began? Or do you think that there's been much of a change or are you expecting to see 
much of a change. Well, our numbers were still climbing mm -hmm. when, you know, he decided to open. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I think it's kind of hard right now, you know, to see the effects of it. Um, I think, you know, check back in about three or four weeks and, you know, let's see then what's going on. You know, I, I pray that, you know, Hey, he was right. You know, I pray he was, mm -hmm. you know, but you know, if he was right, you know, and we reopen in a month or so, I lost some money and that's okay. I would rather lose money than lose some lives. There is no value on that we can put on any one person's life to me. So, you know, we're going to continue to wait and, mm -hmm. you know, wait and see what happens with the numbers, you know, and go from there. You know, yeah. we, we don't have a lot of testing that's been done here. Um, they're trying to ramp it up now, you know, but again, it's like, why didn't we do that first, you know, before we made a decision to reopen? This is a, a disease that, you know, it's not forgiving like that. Mm -hmm. You know, we can't take it back. And the decisions that we made yesterday are going to affect us in the future. Mm -hmm. What do you see as the road to recovery for small businesses at this point, if there, if there even is one? Our bailout, serious bailout, won't come until all this is over with, really, until there's a cure. Then we can get back to the business of being the restaurants that everyone loves with that atmosphere and the ambiance and the chatter going on. Until then, you know, we're just trying to survive, you know, and um, just hoping people will continue to support us. Uh, we're, we've been real creative, you know, we're feeding yeah, we're feeding everybody. Mm -hmm. um, we're we're not um, charging the money that we're used to. Uh, we're not getting rich. We weren't getting rich by any means. Uh, but I think we need some, you know, someone to help us with our rent, our our landlords. You know, some conversation to happen because the numbers that we were making, we're not going to hit those numbers. So we're all going to get in trouble at a point on trying to make payments, you know, that are set in stone without someone actually coming to the conclusion, you know what, we have to renegotiate this. Mm -hmm. The grocery stores, they're starting to ask people to wear masks, okay, that come in. The mm -hmm. airlines are starting to ask people, you know, require you wear a mask, okay? Everybody's doing that. How do we restaurants do that? Cause you got to eat if you're sitting in there. Right. So it's, it's, as we move forward, you know, we really, you know, as restaurant tours, it's even going to get harder for us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much, Deb. And thank you for, you know, being candid as always. And I'm just wishing you guys the absolute well, thank best. You. Thank, <laughs> thank you. you. Bye-bye. The Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced and edited by Emma Wurtzman, with additional programming help from Carrie Polis and Elise Namine. Our theme music is by Nathaniel Wurtzman. We have new episodes every Wednesday, and if you want to reach out to us about this episode or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.